Welcome to the Lincoln Way Christian Church Podcast. This live recording is brought to you from our Sunday morning worship service. Don't forget to also check out www.lincolnway.org. And now for this morning's message. sung by the donkey in Shrek. It was sung by the monkeys, but it was written by a Neil Diamond, um, this song, back in the 1960s. Uh, the monkeys brought it out in 1966. Neil Diamond, if you look at the, this third verse, or the second verse that he gives, um, you can see that for him, as he wrestled through this, that, that love, there was a bit of a disappointment in it. That he felt like he was the giver of love, but not the receiver of love. That there is something, though, that pushes us to love and to be loved. There's something in us that pushes us as um, human beings to enter into relationship with others. There's something that pushes most people across the entire globe into that relationship called marriage. We hope to find love. We think we'll do it, you know, we see a face and that's it, and then it comes on and that's what love really is. But that's not necessarily true. Most of us here will one day either be married, will be married at least one time. Vast majority of you. Either you're married now or someday you will be married. And most likely, you will say words similar to this home video from 1985. Um, it is a home video, and um, so just give them a little chance to... This is basically... It was, it was recorded in beta. That's how old this is, if you know what beta is. Okay. I am Jeffrey Sean Robinson. I am Jeffrey Sean Robinson. Take thee, May Hill. To be my wedded wife. To have and to hold from this day forward, for better or worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish, till death do us part, according to God's holy ordinance. And so I give you my heart. Now, time you repeat after me as follows. I, time may heal. Take thee, Jeffrey Sean Robinson, to be my wedded husband, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better or worse, for richer or poorer. Sickness and in health, to love and to cherish, till death us depart, according to God's holy ordinance. And so I give thee my promise. 
you, <coughs> most of you said words like that, just as um, Tyne and I did. That uh, that is that was me, and that stills her. Um, but we said words like this: to have and to hold from this day forward, for better or worse, for richer or poorer, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. Those of you who are married, did you say something similar to that? If you didn't write your own, I mean, you, you, you said something similar to that. You notice that whenever you made that promise, there's no, like, ifs in there? Did you notice that there's no, well, then in there? I, I, did, you, did, you, did you notice that? Did you, I mean, did you pick that up? There's no ifs. There's no conditions there's no only if. It's an unconditional covenant that you entered into. No conditions were placed there. And yet, most of you went in with a prenup. A prenuptial agreement. Now, no, no, you never discussed it. You never really, you didn't write it out. I, I, I would doubt that, that there was anyone or very few of you went into your marriage with a prenuptial agreement that was written out, that was signed by each other. And yet, in our minds, there was. Maybe in the, the ladies' minds was, I'll change him. <laughs> And in the guy's mind was, she won't change. <laughs> Particularly after she has three kids, she'll still fit into that size four dress. And, 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 and I, but but there, there was still this, this little prenup thing going on in our heads. That there was an if only in our voice. See, the relationship became a contractual conditional relationship. And because the nature of the conditional and contractual relationships melt down, blow up, or at least drift. You know, and I've done a lot of weddings. I've, done a lot, I've, very, I've never done a wedding in which, which I think the couple came into it looking like, well, this is, we're not going to make it. Most of them went in like the words of the Song of the Solomon as the bride describes her groom, and these are just beautiful words, aren't they? His mouth is sweetness itself. He is altogether lovely. He is my lover. This, my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. And that, that is the attitude that you went into it with. My lover, my friend. The passionate one I'm for. This friend in which I will do life with. That's what you went in there with. How do we move from this lover-friend, unconditional covenant to a contractual, conditional relationship? Nicomas did a great job, didn't he, the last couple of weeks, didn't he? I mean, just, just wonderful. Really appreciate what he did with uh, Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, where he talked about the, the, the very foundation of the marriage relationship, of being independent, of being inseparable, and especially the part about being in the buff. That was cool. That was really neat how you did that. But in the world today, and in the church today, marriage is in deep weeds. 
just plain deep weeds. Nearly one half of all adults under the age of 30 will live together before they're married. Will live with someone before they're married. So if you have four children as I do, I can anticipate that two out of the four will shack up with somebody. I once read an article um, in uh, Christianity Today that there is a new movement among young ladies in the the church. It's called um, live-in evangelism. You know, again, I'll change them. I'll move in, I'll shack up with them. And then, through that relationship, I'll bring them to Christ. How effective do you think living evangelism is? How's it working? Not real well. One out of every three people who get married will experience divorce at least one time. The reason why there's 50% of marriages divorced, and why 50%? Because the person who gets divorced once gets divorced a second time, and you know, becomes a habit and gets into it. And sexual sin has become a commonplace within the church. And so we need to decide, we need to move away from this conditional contract to an unconditional covenant. Now, I'm not saying that there ought not to be some barriers or boundaries, is what I call them, in, in marriage. I think that there are, there are appropriate, that there are some boundaries. And, and the Bible speaks of two of them. I call them the four A's. Adultery and abandonment is two of them. That that boundary is set up by Christ of adultery did not cross that boundary. Abandonment, Paul mentions. There are two others that I think that, that we have to throw in there, and that is abuse and addiction. And that may, those two things may end up, those may cause a place where separation is needed. But it doesn't mean that the covenant needs to be broken. Or the unconditional nature of the relationship needs to be stressed out. It just needs that now we need to work on these things and bring some healing. See, marriage has has always been a difficult thing. You go back 2,000 years ago when Jesus was walking the earth. It wasn't like marriage was all hunky-dory. Particularly for women, it was really a bad deal. Um, In Jewish culture, women were basically, whenever you got married, you, you became a piece of property. You were just like the Volkswagen, you know, you were, you were the donkey, you were, you were, the, you were the shovel. You were, you were basically not a person, but rather an item um, that the man owned. But it's even worse in um, Greek culture, because women were worse off there. In the Greek culture's way of life, um, companionship for marriage was impossible to have. A matter of fact, all that women were, the wife was for, was to produce legitimate children and run the house. The man was to go out and find companionship and pleasure elsewhere. That's the way it was set up. That was Greek culture. And some of you are wondering, oh, things haven't changed that much. <laughs> and the Roman culture was even a step down from that. Roman culture was to the pl- complete breakdown that everything was adulterous. And at one time, one of the emperors made it illegal for you not to be married. And if the marriage broke up, you had 18 months to get remarried to somebody else. That's how bad it got in Roman culture. Because the family structures had fallen apart to that point. And it's in this context that, that 
Paul writes this little book, the book, little letter called Ephesians. He writes it to the church that he spent the most time with, the church at Ephesus. He spent about three years there. And as we go in chapter 5, if you've ever read um, chapter 5 of Ephesians, you'll know, know that right before this section that deals with husbands and wives, it's talking about living under the control of the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to live a life under the Spirit's control? It says, do not be drunk with wine, but rather be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he begins to list some of those things that, that, that it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. One, one is worship and praise, is that your life would be that of praise and worship. You would speak songs and hymns and spiritual songs one to another. And that your heart would be full of thanksgiving to God. But there is one part that he begins in verse 21 that is continuing that whole idea of what it means to be filled or controlled by the Holy Spirit. And he says this to them, Submit yourselves one to another out of reverence for Christ. Is that if you and I are to live a spirit-filled life, if we are to live the life of a Christian, it is a life of, of submission, of, of submitting one's will over to another. It is a life that says, says and it's not forced on though. It is this, this word, the way it is written, it's, called, it's in the middle voice in the Greek, in which, which it is a voluntary submission. It is, I choose to submit myself to the will of other people in order for their best interests and their best needs to be met. And that's how he, begin, he begins this passage. So he's talking about the spirit-controlled, the spirit-filled life. What does that mean for you and for me? The, the submission is the beginning of it. So let's continue on. Verse 22 says, Wives, submit, your, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. He takes that verb and he continues on with it. For the husband is the head of the hu- wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body which, of which he is Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. Now, Paul begins with the wife, and I'm going to skip the wife right now. Let you off the hook. How does that sound? Is that all right, ladies? We'll get you at the end. Okay? Because I want to talk about the guys. He says here, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. In the ancient world, the idea of loving your wife would have been, this is foreign territory. People didn't do this. The idea of loving your wife in Greek and Roman culture was so foreign because, because there were objects. Things to give you legitimate children, to run the home, and he'd go out and do whatever he please. But he says here, husbands, love your wife. And then he gives a definition of what that love is going to look like. How does he say it? As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. It's a love of sacrifice. It's a love that says, you know what? Yeah, I might want to do A, B, C, D, E, F, and G. But I've got to sacrifice. I've got to give up. We look at verse 26 and continue on about what this unconditional love includes. 
It also includes to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing of the water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. And so Christ loves the church in such a way that he sanctifies her. And there's a part of, of a man's, a husband's job is to bring spiritual leadership into the family. And that's part of the unconditional love. And continues on in verse 28, it says, In the same way husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one who ever hated his own body, but feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. And so the biblical call here is that idea of nurturing and protecting. And so the husband's role is to unconditionally love his wife, sacrificially, giving spiritual leadership, giving protection and care. And that's, that's his role. That is the role of the husband. That is his job, is, is, to, is to give out unconditionally. Again, where are the ifs? See, whenever Christ came, and I, well, we're going to talk about that later, but, but, but where are the ifs? Where are the thens? Where are they? Where's Christ ifs and thens for you and for me? And then it continues on, verse 31. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and his church. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So now let's shift some gears. Talk about the wife. He says, husbands, love your wives. And he says, wives, respect your husbands. We go back up to verse 22, and it says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Respect unconditionally. When you look at those two passages, the end of verse 33, and then going back to point two, it's about this. The wife's role is to respect unconditionally. But doesn't he have to earn my respect? Shouldn't he have to earn it? I, can't, I shouldn't have to give him respect. He, he needs to earn my respect. That's the way it ought to be. See, we don't have any problem with love being unconditional. We have a real big problem with respect being unconditional, don't we? It goes against our grain. There's something about it that just goes against our No, they have to earn my respect. My husband's adult. Don't you know? Yeah, I know. I've met him. But the passage doesn't say that. Respect is unconditional. That's the hard part, isn't it? That's the hard, it's the difficult part. It's so hard to love unconditionally. It is so hard to respect unconditionally. And I want to tell you why. Because very few of us ever have received unconditional love. And very few of us have ever received unconditional respect at least not in a permanent way very few of us very few of us here today don't have memories that go back to our childhood 
to go back in which we were to perform. In which the way that we were loved was because we performed well. We were valued when our parents, by our parents, when we, they were able to get that sticker that said, I have an honor student at Martino Junior High. I like the sticker I saw the other day. My kid can beat up your honor student, you know. You know what my thoughts were? Someday, your kid's going to be working for my honor student, so it's okay. He's going to be giving you, paying the bill. But we were told we were valuable if we did well. For some of you, you were teased because of your appearance. Maybe even by mom. Maybe by dad. You're looking a little heavy there, girl. Should you have that second piece of cake? Boys won't like you. Some of you, it's almost impossible for you to consider someone loving you unconditionally because you were abused sexually and no one protected you. For others, you were raised by an alcoholic parent in which pleasing that parent became the utmost thing and you danced around it time after time in order to keep that one happy because you knew if they got unhappy, all hell would break loose. And so for some of us, the script that's within our hearts, there's a portion, there's a portion of it that says, I'm unlovable, I'm unrespectable. That there's something within me, there's, there's something within each of us that says, I just don't have it. that quality that is lovable. And therefore, because I don't have it, I can't give it. I can't turn it around. So where do you and I begin? We've got to become a believer. I mean, a real believer in God's unconditional love. And what I want you to do is is to embrace it by faith. Because see... Your feelings are not going to catch up with that part in your, your, little, your heart that says, you know what, I'm not good enough, I'm not lovable, I'm not respectable. That part, that part that's there isn't going to feel it. You're going to have to believe it and faith it into existence because it's not going to come. It's not going to come naturally. You're going to have to actually believe what the Bible says whenever Paul writes in Romans Chapter 5, verse 8. But God demonstrated his own love for us that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. See, you're going to have to embrace this, this as reality, for the Bible tells me so. And see, I, I really don't think that you're going to be able to bring an unconditional covenant into your marriage until you embrace this reality. That Jesus loves you just the way you are. See, it says while you were yet sinners. It doesn't say while you were made, while you were perfect. 
Matter of fact, Jesus died knowing that most people would reject him. Knowing most people would, would, would say, no, I don't care, it doesn't matter. That most people would push him aside. And yet he unconditionally goes to the cross for you and me. So this morning, what is that part in you that says, I'm unlovable or I'm unrespectable? And I want you to take it to the cross. I want you to shift it that way. And place it there. To lay it before Jesus. And say, you know what, Jesus, take this. Because, you know what, I do want my marriage to have that unconditional love. And that unconditional respect. But I can't give what I don't have. And so I'm asking you to come, come to the cross and lay it there.